Welcome to Tough Crowds, Tough Cuts, Volume 2. What was I doing on that poll? Who knows, but listen. <laughs> Didn't they just have a best of show a month and a half ago? You say yes, but guess what? The show's great, and so we had to do another one. Why is the show great? Because we're comedians. We're not cool. We're not rock stars. We're not athletes. In fact, I go as far as to say some of us are creeps. We don't belong on the red carpet without a dustbuster in our hands. We are the people who are supposed to make fun of the people who are cool. Anytime you see a comedian acting cool, you should realize he's lost his soul and his sense of humor, all right? What does that have to do with anything? I don't know, but it made sense when I started saying this. And then just kind of drifted into a place where I don't know where to go. But I will say, luckily, there's a whole show that's hilarious. So at least that'll structure this awful intro. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the DTF Podcast. My name is Sam Norton, and your name is Chuck, or Tyler, or Steven, or Carrie, or Whitney, or Tina, or Ungawa. Uh, I don't know who Tina is. Uh, I know all the rest of those people. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for joining me. And today we dissect a huge, uh, huge part of my comedy life, career, thought process, uh, nerdery, everything. Uh, it is the talk show, comedic panel show, question mark, ill-defined show that had a short run on Comedy Central back in 2002 to around 2004. Hosted by the just perfect comedian in my estimation, Colin Quinn. And the show that we will talk about is, in fact, Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. Uh, yes, I, I, if you've listened to this podcast at all, uh, you find out pretty quick that I, uh, I, I almost worship this show. I watch it... Uh, Anytime I'm bored, like uh, people do with The Office on Netflix, uh, I go on to YouTube and I watch Tough Crowd clips and funny skits uh, that they did. And uh, it's still, it, the weird thing is, like, this show was on 2002 to 2004. So that was when I was in eighth grade freshman year. So that's like seventh, eighth grade freshman year of high school. Uh, and I shouldn't know this show. And I shouldn't be watching the show because it was very much uh, a show that was topical. That w They talked about current events, current uh, news cycles, entertainment things. It was a panel show of current stuff. And yet somehow to me, in some way, it holds up and it's super entertaining. Yes, part of the shit that they talk about is like what fucking politician are you talking about right now? What reference to some goddamn TV show that hasn't been on for almost 10 years, no, more than 10 years, 12 years, almost 15 years at that point. So there are, there are some things that are lost. I, I completely understand that, and I know that some of you are going to be like, wow, what a deep cut of a fucking dissecting the frog. You're going to waste a whole real episode on this? Yes, and I may waste two. Um, I like this show 
so much that for the last three years now, I go onto Twitter every December, and I do a thing called the 30 Days of Tough Crowd, where I watch an episode on YouTube. I, I tweet it out to everybody and say, hey, you know, you can watch along with me at this time, and here's the clip. And then I live tweet an episode from the early 2000s. I watch it like it's regular TV and live tweet it. Uh, that's how much I enjoy watching these group of comedians do their thing in this format that I haven't seen at all. It's It really, to me, it really was something special that you could take a glance at and see and go, oh, this is just another XYZ type of panel conversation television show. And I'm going to tell you the differences today, but here's a little bit of backstory before we get into... To me, what made it so fucking special, and I, I wish there was... I, I know you can't have the same magic again with this group and crew and the host and moment and time, all of that. But I, I, I personally would love to see, and not even see, I want to make the show. I actually run a show in Chicago. It's a charity show we do every once in a while called Stand Up and Debate, and it is it was 100% just tough crowd with Colin Quinn, except it's stand-up and debate with Sam Norton. <laughs> That's how much I love this format. Now, after I got done sucking the dick and telling you guys why exactly I'm talking about a fucking canceled TV show from 10, 15 years ago, let's get into uh, a, a little bit of backstory for none of you, or some of you who have never seen it. Uh, like I said, it was a comedic talk show, panel show on Comedy Central that was from 2002 to 2004. Uh, Colin Quinn, Colin Quinn, who not only was from SNL and Larry Sanders show he did a spot on, and he was in a few movies like Crocodile Dundee 2 or Night at the Roxbury, huh? You guys know those blockbusters? Uh, he, he, you should know him. If you don't, go back and listen to the very first episode of this podcast, and I will tell you how much I love that man. Uh, he will have his own episode devoted directly to him uh, later on. But uh, Colin Quinn was the host and executive producer, uh, along with uh, Liz Stanton, who I believe was a uh, is or was, I, I couldn't find much information on her, but she was a producer at Comedy Central, executive producer for a very long time. And uh, Ken U Uber, or Ober, I think it's Ken Ober, uh, he was also a producer, but he was the host of MTV's Remote Control back in the 80s, who Colin Quinn was like his sidekick on there. So he's also a stand-up comedian, writer, I think he's director of some movies and stuff like that. Um, and in the early... In early 2002, I believe March 2002, NBC had a three-episode airing uh, in the time slot of, uh, I believe it was SNL. Uh, they did a live uh, show, kind of like this one. Uh, it was like the proto-tough crowd. It was called The Colin Quinn Show, and it was a live show panel, but it was canceled. So Colin Quinn took that kind of same format and idea of what he was trying to do on NBC and took it to Comedy Central, which at the time was uh, pretty edgy. Uh, they, they still are in some aspects. Uh, you know, they've had a real resurgence with, like, Broad City and, uh, you know, shit like that. But uh, at the time, they, you know... South Park was coming into their own. The Daily Show was coming into its own. Uh, Dave Chappelle was blowing up, and so they were trying to find another. They were just hitting hits this whole time. 
And uh, so Colin Quinn took it to them, like, yes, let's do it. We'll put you on after The Daily Show. So they got put on after The Daily Show. Now, the show's format is set up as such. There's a, a cold open every time. There's no intro. Colin just comes out, does a, about a one- to two-minute monologue. And he'll, uh, he'll do a monologue, and it's almost... It's unedited. It's raw. It's... It's almost like a as close to a stand-up monologue that you could ever get. Because whenever you watch, say, Kimmel or Fallon, Conan, Letterman, Leno, uh, any other of the hosts that did uh, monologues at the beginning, set up punch all the time. Now, they all had their different flavors, but it was very much this thing happened in the news set up punch, move on to the next thing that happened in the news, set up punch, next thing, next thing. Basically what Johnny Carson set forth. The only two people that I've ever seen in a talk show out of all the thousands of hours I've watched of different talk shows and formats and stuff like that are Craig Ferguson, who I promise we will get to that episode at some point. Craig Ferguson and his show, and Colin Quinn, where it was definitely in their voice. You... you you got the sense that if they had writers, they weren't having much of an effect on the voice of the show. Because Colin would come out, he would do his monologue the exact same way I've seen him do his uh, comedy stand-up sets on stage. And it was so unedited that there was a few times, and I don't mean this as a dig, but there was a few times or a good portion of times where something wouldn't land and he would just react to it. It was very in the moment and honest and pure and it wasn't uh, a shined up turd like a lot of uh, stuff is that I've seen where it's like okay you have you have an audience that's told to laugh and that joke wasn't that good it was just like a hey ooh, uh, Barack Obama got a pudding pop today I hope he doesn't talk to the pudding pop factory I don't even know see that's a really bad joke but a lot of audiences would go wow okay yep uh and, but Colin's audience, you, you always got the sense that you were almost hanging out at, at a comedy club. And to me, that authenticity really struck a chord, not only when I was younger, but now as a comic, when I l- watch the show, I'm like, oh, this feels like it's at a comedy club. It's a show that I could almost drink to. And I do. I watch it at 11 o'clock in the morning and start drinking. <laughs> uh, now, the main cast uh, was Colin Quinn, of course, uh, but then he had uh, the main supporting group of dudes uh, and women, sorry, a uh, group of people that were there were uh, Nick DiPaolo, Jim Norton, Patrice O'Neill, Greg Giraldo, Keith Robinson, Judy Gold, Rich Voss, Robert Kelly, and Jim David. Right? That is a murderer's row of comedians. Now, these people are super at the top of their game, uh, it, where we're at now in 2016, 2017. And just that cast alone is worth watching the show over and over and over. Back then, yes. Now, even more so, because they've raised to the top of the pile in uh, in comedy, at least East Coast comedy. Not, not very much, uh, I guess, nationwide, but I would even say nationwide. They're big names. They're huge names. Um... And these guys, uh, all, this whole crew was from the 
the comedy club in New York called the Comedy Cellar. Now, back at this time, I'm not exactly sure now. I go out and visit the Comedy Cellar. Uh, the table really isn't there anymore, but there there is a comics table, quote-unquote, uh, in the back. If you go upstairs in the Comedy Cellar, you go to the back, there's the bar. I always sit there. I always try to sneak in, but there's a, a table where the performing comics who go downstairs and perform in the Comedy Cellar, they'll go sit with each other and shoot the shit and talk comedy, hang out until they get their set. This group of people would hang out there almost every night. The comedy seller loved them, so they booked them together all the time, and those guys would just sit there and just shit on each other, talk about politics, all that. Well, Colin, the whole idea for Tough Crowd and the Colin Quinn show was he was hanging out at the comedy seller and going, this is entertainment. We're busting our... At busting our ass, and I almost said humps, but that's not, we're, we're busting our guts, is what I meant to say. We're busting our guts, sitting here, making each other laugh. This should be on television. This is hilarious. And he wasn't wrong. These group of people were able to pull comedy out of every situation, because that's what they did every night. They were practicing on entertainment without even knowing it. They were just having a good old fun fucking time. Now, with that, right, you have, uh, you know, Patrice O'Neill's unfortunately gone, Greg Giraldo's unfortunately gone, but you... I mean, you hear those names of Greg Giraldo, Patrice O'Neill, Jim Norton, Nick DiPaolo, Robert Kelly. It, the list goes on. It, it's it, the fact that these people alone were there on every, like every week, at least in some facet, is huge. But they also had special guests drop in because everybody like Colin has really over his career become a comics comic. He says he's a dog whistle for comedians, and. He, he has a lot of friendships. People respect him. So everybody wanted to be on this show because it was such a, a different format. It was it was raw and unedited, and you could just kind of hang out and be naturally funny and hang out with good people, your friends. I'm assuming they, all seem, they are all friends. Um, but listen to the special list guests. Like, I tried to make a list of people I remembered from the show, okay? Yeah, George Wallace, Louis C.K., George Carlin, Jerry Seinfeld, Dave Chappelle, Paul Mooney, and many, many others, right? The, I mean, those are the some of the biggest names in comedy. Not to mention Eddie Izzard was on there, uh, Stephen Colbert. Uh, I, I, I can keep going on. I'm not going to, but you get the point. There was the biggest names in comedy were on this show, and that's what, also what made it so fucking special. It was just such a a nerd comedy haven, that real raw comedy that I love so much. Not fucking uh, flap doodle like talk show, pitch something, perform monkey. I like. I got into this business. Partly, uh, probably the biggest part too, to be one of those guys, to be able to hang out and, you know, bust balls, make each other laugh, discuss ideas, uh, drink, be fucking weirdos, and just that that aspect, that communal aspect, is something that I gravitate towards, and I, I didn't realize it until I got older in life, about the age I'm in now. It's it's been coming to me over the years, but it's becoming more crystalline the older I get, that the reason I go towards that communal, ball-busting, fun, shoot-from-the-hip kind of comedy, the real, what it's like to hang out at your job if you got, you know, if you're doing drywall or 
fucking construction or maybe you're even in an office and you guys go to a bar for lunch like it, it's it's like that moment where you're just hanging out after work and you're with your buddies and just everything you guys say is so fucking funny and a lot of the time when you're a regular person and you do that there's a lot of inside jokes but you're laughing your ass off now with these these guys are professional comedians so the per the inside jokes are not inside they know how to make it communal for everyone around them, especially when they're talking about pop culture and shit. So it, it was, it's just such a f fantastic format and uh, a wonderful thing to, uh, to not, only experience, not only listen to, but experience. It really was, is to me still, an experience of like, God, this is so fucking precious and I, I wish that more people which is why I'm doing this episode I wish that more people would understand that um, now that those are those big people uh, the the famous people but there were also people that were on there that then became like today's biggest names uh, and I kind of already said Louis CK Louis CK was big back then but he wasn't what he is now uh, Chris Rock was also on there so uh, they they had they had huge star power, but I think they also helped not not make star power, but really burgeon people uh, have a burgeoning star power that you know gave people uh, you know an avenue to be seen because you got to showcase. It was the only show where you could showcase not a comedian stand up, so they didn't have to burn material, but you know you had four people on a couch talking with Colin. I just realized I'm a fucking idiot. You fucking kid. I'm sitting over here stroking this goddamn show's dick, giving you as much fucking information as possible, and this fucking dumbass doing this goddamn show. How long? How many episodes have I done this? Do I fucking speak for a living? I haven't even told you what the show fucking is. I'm an idiot. I told you vaguely that it's a panel show. I didn't even tell you exactly what the setup is. I got like, I, God, I, I'm a fucking idiot. Like I said, oh yeah, Colin starts a monologue and then I went down that fucking route. I got notes in front of me. See, you hear this? Notes. I take notes. That's how much of a fucking idiot I am. I just straight off and then was like, oh, listen to all these names. A fucking name dropper. Ugh, I hate myself. So let's go back, okay? Fuck! <laughs> so, Colin gives a monologue. Then <laughs> they sit down, and there are four comedians, sometimes five, that uh, sit in uh, kind of an open-angled couch seating to where it's very relaxed, right? And Colin stands up on his... Uh, he, he had a pool table behind him to make it look even more relaxed. Hey, we're just hanging out in the lounge. And he would just sit there, eat and drink, and he would bring up conversations. They would talk about it for a certain amount of time, and then whenever Colin wanted to change it, he'd change topics. They'd go to another topic. They'd go to commercial. They'd come back, and there would be either a skit, or they, they would change up the format so it's not just people talking all the time. They would have something. Uh, then they'd go to commercial, they'd come back, they'd talk for a little bit more, and then they'd do a closing thing. Usually the closing thing was Colin would pose a question to everybody, and then everybody would have about a minute or two to give their like closing monologue that they wrote every time they were on the show. So Colin would be like, hey, in the news today, George Bush almost choked on a pretzel. 
uh, what do you think he's going to choke on next? And then everybody would do a monologue about, oh, he's probably going to choke on Dick Cheney's nutsack or something like that. And then, boom, show's over with. All right, so there. I did my job so you know what the fuck I'm talking about and why. Let me get back to my other point, which is saying it helped burgeoning careers get showcased because there you go. You have the ability to showcase your skill and your personality uh, and they're and you're not burning any material. And then on top of that, there's no other show that I've seen since or before where you had so many comedians on at once to be able to do that. Usually, at most, you'll have like a talk show or something to where it's uh, the host and then two people sitting on a couch. And then maybe you could maybe you could have a third who does like a like. A, like they do with like Conan and stuff. So like at most you could have three comedians off. They never do that, but at most you could have three comedians. This one had four, sometimes five, plus the host every week to showcase themselves. And that's a, a, a huge deal to showcase yourself and not burning any material on national television. That's a it's a huge deal for a comedian. If you guys if you guys don't do comedy and you don't understand what I'm talking about, it takes. It takes a good long while for any self-respecting comedian to come up with material that is rock solid and you could stand behind. At, at the least, I would say it's a year. At the most, it could be 15. You, could, you never know. It, it takes people different times to come up with different amount of material. But what I'm saying is it's a, it's a real precious commodity you have, and then when you go onto a show and you burn it, it's, it's kind of done because once you've seen a joke, or heard a joke, it doesn't have that same pop as it does the first time that you hear it. And so you got to you got to showcase yourself. Now these are names of people that got famous after, but were on this show before. Now I'm going to start off with Carlos Mencia, not because I respect him, uh, but because he did get famous after this and like get on the Comedy Central. And I almost suspect that this had something to do with him being uh, getting bigger. Uh, through Comedy Central's eyes and then getting a show and stuff like that because this came out, or he was on Tough Crowd around the same time that his Comedy Central Presents came out. Uh, but then people I actually respect also were uh, Kevin Hart was on there uh, a lot. Uh, Bill Burr was on there a lot. Joe Rogan was on there a lot. Uh, Stephen Colbert, I think I said, was on there. And then Greg Poops. Now, Greg Poops is actually pretty big uh, through... Uh, whose line is anyways, but this was another outlet for him too. And so enough of me talking about the format. I, I'm going to play some, uh, it's a best of clip. Uh, I, I just want to get have you guys get a sense of some of the one-liners and, and shit that they used to, the banter that they used to say to each other back and forth. Uh, and then we'll come back and I'll tell you more about the show and how... Uh, I, just how much it really uh, kind of affected me uh, and why I think it's a better show than anything I've seen before or since uh, regarding, like, a comedy show. So uh, go ahead and listen. We'll be right back. Uh, all right, bye. We live in a country where people are afraid to say how they really feel. Ironically, the only place I hear the truth is in comedy clubs. Comedians may be perverts, lazy, selfish, and bad dressers, but they don't lie. 
So if you can't watch people's honest opinions without fighting, booing, or boycotting, you can check out a repeat of the Gilmore Girls on another channel, stupid. What'd you just say? I said even 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 this wonderful network that yes. this show is on that I get to do once oh, a week. Oh my lord. Um I, <laughs> what are you I gonna was, say? I was doing my half hour special. Yeah. And uh I do the thing about the sniper, the black sniper. Yes. And blah 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 blah. The punchline was nigga in a Buick. And <laughs> they, they, it's so they, funny they, they, cut out, the they cut out they cut out Buick. They cut out they Buick. Cut out Buick. <laughs> I swear to God, because because they didn't want to uh, oh. view it. Oh. In a <laughs> <laughs> if you want to say a curse on this network, yes. you have to be like a cartoon or a talking turd. Then it's oh, okay. that's right. <laughs> Whenever I'm around you, Helen, I start talking like you. I am. I'm trying to make a point, you know, the brutality yeah. of capital punishment. But they have that's no balls. If they have balls, they ask for a crucifixion. I say. You know? No, seriously, that makes a big statement. People are still talking about that today. <laughs> <laughs> Zingy. How about it's zingers? That's yeah, what the show's zingers. about, Jerry. Zingers. zingers, okay? <laughs> it's our little attempt to make the big bucks. Do you mind? <laughs> Maybe we should ask, what would Jesus drive? <laughs> That's a real commercial. So what do you think? Tasteless? What? Can I say I don't know what brand he would drive, but I bet it would be an automatic, because nothing makes driving a stick harder than a hole in your hand. <laughs> I think that it's interesting you would say that. Uh, I mean, I was an altar boy, and it's interesting. No, it's interesting how anything can be a sign of rejection. I look back and I think, you know, what about me, Father? How what? I wasn't good enough for you, Father. I wasn't sexy enough. Oh yeah, the O'Malley twins got it twice a week, but you couldn't lift up little Dom Herrera's cassock and make him feel good. They don't want Marilyn Manson at Six Flags because he has plastic breasts and eye contacts. So I guess I'm not bringing my wife to Six Flags. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a director. Can we get a sh quick shot of Norton, like, sitting there eating that strawberry like a gay Roman emperor? <laughs> Look at him. He's a decadent Roman naughty emperor. <laughs> they always tax things that aren't necessary, you know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. I, I just want to get one in before I hear a short comment. Uh, <laughs> I'm a comedy genius, and it's hard to... <laughs> Express. Right. <laughs> why, why that's funny. And um, there was a bomb threat in front of my building. Um, they would not let anybody go down the block. And you I sure had to... you weren't doing a show? <laughs> <laughs> no. And I loved you in Sha Na Na. That look when you give, like that's so satisfying. To I know. You. <laughs> and you know, he wanted to say, he wanted to say that guy too. Boy. I was waiting for the huge black penis joke. Yeah. I was to see how he was going to fit that in. Oh really? What am I, a dick joke specialist now? I don't know. Have you, have you watched the show? Watch out, Pat. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's not a dick joke specialist. You really think that about Nick? No. Sorry. What the hell just happened? Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to get people who are smoking and drinking pissed off. You know, they're like, hey, we're raising the prices to seven bucks. Seven bucks? Yeah, why? You wouldn't want to protest? No, but it's messed up. I'll pay it, but yeah. But if you don't drink and you don't smoke like me, then huh, who cares? Then you're boring. There should be a tax on that. <laughs> get with the program, sister. Okay, that was um, Tough Cuts from Tough Crowd, one of their best of shows, and they were just kind of doing a hodgepodge of nice little quips and funny shit that they said. 
Now, let's get into it. I, I have four points here that I want to hit to express why I think this show is uh, different and amazing and something something quite special. Uh, the show... Before I get into these points, actually, I, I want to make something very clear. Um, this show... Really, person- I want you guys to understand how much it personifies what I think, what my idea of comedy is. Uh, people, people will try to say what's good, what's bad, what's this, what's that. My idea of comedy is people getting together in one room and hashing topics out with no regard of past experience or opinion just to find truth and humor. And no other time was that more kind of needed than 2002 after, uh, I guess there is more time, but uh, you know what I'm saying? Like the gravity of this show coming on in 2002 in the wake of nine, right after 9-11 uh, and, you know, during the Iraq-Afghani war. Uh, and there was, there was just a bunch of, uh, I don't know, it was a, uh, it, it was a time where uh, it, it's nice that there was some candid conversations going on. And that, I kind of wish that was going on now with, uh, I mean, you kind of always need it going on now, but now uh, more than anything is these people. Uh, oh, yeah, Mark Marin was also on the show quite a bit. Um, but the reason I bring up Mark Marin is because Mark Marin and Nick DiPaolo could not be any more different, I think, politically and ideology, uh, ideologically, ideologically, I don't know how to say it. Anyways, that they couldn't be any more different, those two as comedians. However, they, whenever they were on the show, went, they kind of sparred against each other, and it was always in order to find funny. It was never to try to one-up the other person with points, and, I mean, I guess that happened occasionally, but it, it, it was secondary, and because of that, there was always truth and reverence for uh, differing opinions and I think that well at least in America but I, I think this is worldwide we are it, it's getting real bad that people don't like hearing people's opinion that is not their own and it's on both sides of the aisle I I grew up in Kansas and now live in Chicago uh, and Chicago if you guys don't know is a very liberal city at least to my estimation and Wichita, Kansas, where I'm from, was like the liberal, most liberal place in Kansas, and it's still very fucking conservative. And so I, I have a real uh, admiration for uh, tolerance in the, in the eye of, uh, not intolerance, but tolerance in the eye of struggle or in the eye of aggression. Like, having having to turn the other cheek uh, is... Uh, turn the other cheek and then come back with a quip instead of a punch is, uh, is something I... I don't know. Maybe I'm a pussy comedian. That's why I like it so much. But that's... Again, that's why I like comedy is because I, it speaks to me. Instead of... 
instead of an, making a situation worse by pulling out a fist, a knife, or a gun, uh, you defuse the situation by pulling out a, a nice little quip to make everybody laugh. And then you still kind of get your point across, too. If you, can, if you can make a point and make people laugh, that makes the medicine go down even better. So that being said, let's get into my points. I, I had to say that because I think I was going on the track before I stopped and we went to that clip and then I got all pissed off at myself because I'm a fucking moron. Uh, all right. This show... I've, I've had people in the past, whenever they watched it or just in conversation, go like, oh, that show's just like Crossfire and, or Politically Incorrect, which were two shows around that time that were the same type of thing. Uh, you could also say it's like The Talk or uh, fucking Byron Allen's goddamn Comics Unleashed or some shit like that where it's a roundtable shouting match. But... Tough Crowd was, I think, set apart because all the comedians shouting, they weren't shouting to get their points out. Like I said, they were shouting to get their punchlines out. That is a real special thing to me. Uh, Because when you are a comedy show, the golden rule, I think, in comedy should be you should never be, or you should always be funnier than the point that you're making. A friend of mine named Gabe Perry said that uh, whenever we first started and really stuck with me of like it's a very simple concept to have but I feel like comedians are kind of missing that nowadays because there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of comedy out there and it's it still feels great it it's you know there there's that sense of like yeah we're in this together you get that sense but there's not a lot of like haha I'm laughing it's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of applause that should be laughter, if that makes any sense. And it's going more and more towards that. It's going more and more towards personality and populist talk. Uh, than it, and politically, I think things are happening that way, too. That The substance is going away, and it's more about, uh, let me say what everybody thinks, you know? I'm in front of a fucking... <laughs> in front of an all-black gay women's convention, and then I the only jokes that I do are talking about how I love all black gay women conventions. You know what I mean? It, there's no there's no testing of yourself or the audience for that matter. And I could be wrong. I don't think that I am. I don't think that's where comedy needs to be. I think comedy needs to, you know, pull the pull the hood, pull the hood back or the lid back or the, whatever to expose what's actually under there. You know, you gotta you gotta have someone in not just I don't want to say society that sounds way too pretentious I know that this podcast is but you gotta have somebody in somewhere to be able to go hey let's all look at this shit I mean recently in recent memory you had Hannibal Burris a comedian vaguely kind of make a half joke in I think Philadelphia about Bill Cosby raping women and that thing has exploded it got it was just a half quip that he made just to be like, nah, I'm gonna, hey, I got fucking high today, was on the internet. Do you know that Bill Cosby's raped 30 women? N- now come to find it's fucking 60 or something like that. Uh, and then it explodes, and now it's not even about Hannibal Burris. Fuck, it's not even about Bill Cosby. It's just about rape in general. And you don't get to that point unless you have someone say it to begin with. And you know what? The only reason that people were willing to listen is because he made it funny. 
And I think that needs to happen more, but it seems like it's not happening that way because nobody's turning the the scope of themselves. Not nobody. I just gave you a fucking modern day equivalent. I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm on the road. My my brain is dumb. My point is saying I see it not moving that direction. I think that Hannibal, as of lately, is more the exception than the rule. And I, I don't like the trend that it's going. Maybe I'm wrong, but it it seems like that's where comedy's been going lately. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that people, uh, people in my profession or people in general try to step outside themselves and maybe take a mirror back on themselves or back on their constituents and see if you can find any truth in that so that way you're not just creating bubble after bubble after bubble after bubble. Um, and that's, that's part of the reason I like this show is because you had so many different people from so many different point of views on life. I mean, they were all comics, so they all had a fucked up point of view on life, but they were all differing uh, as much as any other talk show I think I've ever seen. You had uh, a pretty diverse group of people, to my estimation, uh, talking about serious things in a funny way. So you were able to get substance, but, you know, they threw a bunch of dick and pussy jokes in there. It made it easy and palpable, you know? And it wasn't just one person monologuing. Like, I know John Oliver, I think, does a good job at, uh, I mean, he's a little bit, he, he panders a little bit sometimes, but what can you do? He's one person talking into a microphone. I know how that feels. Uh, all right, let's move on to number two before I fucking bore you guys to tears with my stroke fest. I, uh, all right, so number two, I think that other panel shows and talk shows, the, the, the one thing that you could see in interviews or just in dialogue between each other is that those other shows, they don't know each other, or if they do know each other, it's in a very professionalized sense, the talk, or one of those fucking daytime talk shows. I don't, I'm sorry to compare it to that, I know that's trash television, but people watch it and people like it. But whenever you watch those shows, barring whether or not I like it or not, just on an objective level, you watch them talk to each other and you get a very strong sense that it's people talking to each other at work. It's not friends happening and it's not friends talking to each other and we just happen to be in the conversation. Do you understand that very fine distinction? I think that's what made this so great. So when things got heated... Uh, on this show, it never got serious. It just got funny because they were they were friends in, in a generalized sense. Uh, now, there were exceptions. Uh, we'll cut to a quick clip of an exception that I thought was hilarious. Uh, you may have noticed it on a past uh, podcast we had where Greg Giraldo took down Dennis Leary. North Korea. Some people think it's funny, but uh, Dennis, what do you think? Should we go in there now? They're starting with us. What should we do? Let's go in. Let's go in. Let's get the, uh, what does he drink? Kovacier. Yeah, he's like the biggest customer Kovacier has on the yes, planet. Yes, he is. I think they ship like some insane, like a million bottles to him. Right. Every time they, they, come, they do a batch on a yearly basis, they send it to him. Let's go over, get drunk, kick the shit out of him, come back. Right. And then next. Why don't we just poison the Kovacier, save us the trip? <laughs> I'm just saying, that's a good point. But it's France, isn't it French? Then I gotta poison it. No. Mm. Well, why don't we poison all the French? Okay. <laughs> and then poison the Cavassier, and you kill two yeah, French birds with one right, stone. Let's poison the French, okay, Jerry Lewis. And then blame it on the Germans. Yeah. 
We have to go in and get him. He's like a big bully. It's like trying to talk peace with a big bully. It's like if a bully says, I'm going to kick your ass, and you're like, I understand how you feel. No. A big bully is like three and a half feet tall. That's yeah, the problem. Yeah, he has big shoes, He's, like, he's a complete psycho <laughs> with, like, with his little stupid Roy Orbison glasses. And his, you, you know, do you know how short you have to be to have a Napoleon complex in North Korea? <laughs> <laughs> that guy is... Little. I think the Corvassier thing is, is part of it, but it's also the fact that he's got nuclear weapons pointed at the United States. Okay, you know what I love, by the way? That's a good connection point. between him and Saddam Hussein. These guys are all bitching and moaning about, and all, all over the globe about how much we suck, America, you know? Yeah. They go into Saddam's house and his son's house, what do they find? Right. They found, was it Miller White beer they found? Mm -hmm. Or, or uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon or something? I mean, they, they're some... Schlitz! Yes, I think Schlitz. It was, it was Schlitz. <laughs> I think it was that these guys are consumed by American The props, favorite you know? movie is The Godfather. Yeah. Saddam. And he, he tortures people while listening to and Frank Sinatra. And sodomizes women! While, while listening to Frank Sinatra. Which you agree with. <laughs> you said I that as a word. story yeah, about him, him watching torture tapes of his victims wearing a, a, just his underwear and a big 10-gallon cowboy hat. Yeah. <laughs> listening to Frank Sinatra. That's, that's a little a eerie. See, the more we talk about this kind of stuff, I'm starting to like the guy. I want to party yeah, with him. Yeah, me too. That's what If we find him, let's have one big last party with him. Okay? Yeah, you know what? My point is really about that. Assassination. Doesn't anybody want that right. anymore? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, but well, how do you get a couple of There are a lot of Italian guys out of work. That's right. Who are right. very good at this. Right. That's true. And, and I'm sure they would do it for a reasonable price, and they could come back, we could have a feast. And like they did in the Civil... You know, this is the great story that nobody ever made a movie of? Yes. Maybe I'll sell the treatment to Apostle. Okay. You can put it to your two Italians in there. Yeah. It's, uh... The guy, the, the FBI sent that mafia hitman down when the three civil rights workers were missing yes. to intimidate a Klan guy, and he beat the balls off him, and that's how they found out where they were buried. The balls? Yeah, you know, yeah well, no balls. <laughs> I use the expression, you know. Stop. Sure. Yeah, what that, do you think? Right, how that's, a great story. that's a great story, isn't it's it? A great story. Yeah. It is a great story. The balls part is the best. Yeah. Well, or maybe there's a non-violent way to solve the whole North Korea thing. Good thinking. They're no, asking for. A, well, there might be. They're asking for. Uh, for what? There's a non-violent way to, to solve the problem with the country that we hate, that hates us, that's got weapons pointed at us? I don't think so. No, you're right. Like Russia, for example, that big Russian war. Uh, <laughs> there, there are things that... There, there are things that... Uh, no, there, there are approaches. You have to be strong about it, but there are approaches. There are economic benefits that we're giving them in order to, for them to stop developing their weapons. I mean, I heard recently they agreed to stop, uh, stop building nukes if American women agree to get their nails done at least twice a week. <laughs> it's just something I read. That's a good point. This guy writes so many jokes before the show, it's not even funny. It's unbelievable. He's, he's, got, a, he's got a pocket full of them. Yeah. They're good ones, that's what, that's, uh, that I'm not good. saying they're not good, I'm just no. saying. I know. It was right there. Right. That's kind of what we do here, Dennis. I'm yeah. a comedy writer. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm not coming back. You know that's what? it. I'm that's it. You're the guy in school that did all the homework and then asked if there was any more that needed to be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good point. And if you had tried a little comedy writing, maybe your show would still be on the air. Dennis's show should have never been taken off the air because it was the only, you know, sign of a real guy. Dennis's show. Did you ever have a show? No. no. Oh, yes, thank you. Moving on. I did have a show. I was going to turn to like the quarterback. Yeah. 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 You realize it's two years. <laughs> this is a microcosm of what war will never end right here. Right. No, I, that was the game. No, no, no.
We're done. We're done. Okay. We're done. You started it. I'll finish. It's, I'm telling you, but it's a it's a microcosm. Yes, it's the only. I'm really glad you did this section over again. Yeah, I'm really. I'm really. Well, we'll cut out whatever you want. How's that? Yeah. Cut the other one again. So you think you can just keep calling me on every joke, and I'm not going to hit back a little bit? I'm going to be a fist fight. That was a funny kid. I like the show. It was a good show. It was a good show. It was a funny show. The bottom line is this. And the good thing is Lenny likes to break up fights, too. He's good at this. You'll see. Me, I can if fight If they start swinging, it'll get ugly, you know? The, uh, the bottom line is this, folks. That's uh, going to be the egg day uh, s segment, I guess. <laughs> um, you might want to tune back and see, you know, the little marks on people's faces or, you know, the little, the little hint of a scuffle that was broken up. Maybe my shirt will be ripped here. You know, maybe I have a little makeup smudge there. You never know. But this is, uh, this is as ugly as it's gotten. And it definitely gets ugly on this show. So we'll talk to you later. Bye. But in general, they would talk over each other, they would yell at each other, and it would get heated, and they would insult each other, but it was the same type of heat that you get whenever you're hanging out with your friends shit-talking. Whereas, again, when you go back to the talk, or even politically incorrect, or what's Bill Maher's new thing? Uh, Bill Maher... Shit, it's on HBO. You guys know what I'm talking about, though. Uh, Bill Maher's uh, show, you know, you have panelists, and a lot of times they're fucking politicians, they're talking heads, and so when things get heated, they're just heated. It's just people being serious about shit, uh, and it's like, well, it doesn't fucking go anywhere. All you, This is for entertainment, and yet a lot of times it just gets so serious, and they're shouting over each other, you're just like, wow, you just sound like pestilent children right now. I, I don't want to watch fucking C-SPAN. <laughs> uh so these guys were able to always keep it funny and keep it, even even as testosterone-fueled as it was, even as uh, kind of unregulated firing and quipping as it was, there was still a heart to it. There was still, there was still a soul. You could kind of feel, <laughs> you could kind of feel the love tonight, tonight. I don't know that song. I just know it's from The Lion King. But the, the, you could feel you could feel the love that these guys had for each other, and then even guests that came on. There was there was mutual respect. I'm, I'm, you can even get rid of love. There was mutual respect in that. All right, I'm gonna let you talk. Try to say something funny. If you don't, I'm gonna go at you. And then so it was always it was always the jokes first, and that and then so that was jokes first. And then respect was second. And it always fell in those two spheres before anything else. Before political alliances, before racial alliances, before sexual alliances. It was always, all right, we're comics first. Then second, uh, we're comics. So that, that was always the thing that came up. Uh, number three, uh, not afraid of bombing. Not afraid of showing the ugly side of comedy. Like I said at the beginning, there were there's so many shows polishing turds that you lose a little bit of the flavor of what makes stand-up special, in my estimation, which is it's dangerous. You're watching a high-wire act. You're watching a, 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 a the possibility. High-wire act, I'll make it more modern. Fucking NASCAR, right? Uh, I find NASCAR to be quite boring, but I'm trying to find an analogy that kind of speaks to more people. But I'm saying, like, what makes both of those things so exciting is not the act itself, not the driving around in a circle, not the walking on a wire, but the 
the very real possibility that someone could get hurt or die. That's what makes stand-up so exciting, at least in my estimation, is that you're in a room and you're supposed to captivate three, four, five, a thousand people, right? And and there's a very real possibility that they could turn on you or that you could fuck up or you could say the wrong thing or, you know, or somebody in the audience could say something and everybody turned. There's, there's always this, like, weird human emotional... Uh, need to want to watch danger happen, watch something maybe fucking fall apart, chaos, anarchy, right? That's that's the part that you like. You're watching a person tame a lion. The audience is the lion or the, you know, and the comedian is the guy holding the fucking fire hoop, hoop and a whip, you know? And so I think that, I think it was, to me it's something special and maybe it's because I know comedy too much, but it, it's always so nice to watch those moments where you watch a comedian bomb or give a long pause and then they get out of it by doing something just to react to it, just to show that they are not only a funny writer, but a funny person, right? When a joke bombs, you can tell who's been doing comedy longer than another person because if a joke bombs, the person who just started will just move on and be like oh i don't want to address it right because you're having to face down the fact that you got shot you're just like oh shit i'm bleeding you're like oh no i'm not bleeding i'll just keep walking right whereas a, a professional comic someone who's real funny you know if a joke doesn't land they'll they'll make it funny they're not gonna just let that it, it, it's like a soldier uh if i can have a hyperbolized analogy right now your jokes you are the general and your jokes are your your platoon, right? General and platoon. That I should probably say sergeant. Like I know I know some about the military, sergeant or commander, whoever, right? And the jokes are your soldiers. And if one of them dies, you don't let it. You know, you don't just let them die. You try to revive them. If you can't, you carry them. And if you can't carry them, you at least honor them in some facet. And so you find that the longer a comedian's been doing that, the the more that they will go fucking no soldier left behind. I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna do something. I'll avenge this guy if I have to. Which is you know, avenging is usually when a heckler fucking breaks up the joke and then you gotta fucking go in on them. But you see what I mean? And Colin and all of them, they would do that. Colin, I have to give Colin credit because he would, as the host, not only during his monologues, but if. If he was doing a joke, there's multiple instances of this where he would be saying something and have to go self-deprecating, or he would just stop the show and be like, you know what? Let's just let's just feel that bomb. Let's just really <laughs> let's just really grab hold and just feel how much that sucks. And it would create a tension for them to later release. It was such a great great comedic instinct to do because that's what comedy is about it's about tension and release of that tension and so if, if you're having a bad show and you you create or if you're if you're having a bad show or a bad time and you create some tension then the next person who has a hard punchline it's like fuck yeah they're back on top you get to be the underdog of your own fucking show that's a genius way of doing it and it it, it also allows for to for the crowd to laugh at real moments to feel like they're there, to to really empathize with the situation. Now, the, this came. This I mean, it's it's basically cringe humor. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's it's cringe humor, and it was before. I know it was before the U, the U.S. office, 
before that even hit and then started that whole cringe humor f- craze off. Uh, the UK office I had to be around that time too, if not a year or two before. And so you had this kind of real like, ugh, this is hard to watch. And then, you know, they get you back with the punchlines. And I, I like that bit of honesty. But also I like the fact that they were just so... so involved with uh, what they were doing that they they did not they did not kill the authenticity of what makes this art so fun to me which is again that high wire act that we could uh, we could go down in flames at any moment and TV shows try to get rid of that and you know for the most part they should that's what uh, <laughs> you know that's what TV is supposed to be there is just to entertain you. It's got to be sharp, 30 minutes, you're done. But this tried to do something different, and I think it accomplished it, where it was trying to really showcase comedians uh, and not showcase a show. They were showcasing comedians, and part of showcasing comedians is like, eh, some of the jokes aren't going to land, so let's fucking just stew in this for a minute, and then we'll keep moving. So let's get to my last point. Uh, point number four. Uh... To this day, uh, it showcases every facet of comedy that's out there. And unlike Comics Unleashed, which is, uh, if you guys have never seen the show, don't bother. It's a show by a guy named Byron Allen, who's a fantastic producer. I mean, the guy makes money. He knows what he's doing, but I'm, he, I'm not sure he knows all about comedy. Uh but it's, it's another panel show. Four comics sit around. Byron Allen <laughs> fucking hosts. And it's it's so fucking contrived and transparent, it's sickening to watch. Now, when you don't know all that much about comedy, I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's a decent show, I guess. You get to watch comics be funny. But they, they do everything wrong. Where Tough Crowd did everything right, where it holds up, Byron Allen's did everything wrong where it, it just wasn't made f- for the artist. It was made for some idea of what comedy is. So where Byron Allen was a non-comedian as the host, Colin Quinn was a comedian host. Where uh, Colin Quinn would have comics on to showcase them, not their jokes, but their personality or their skill to write jokes, Byron Allen would just have comedians sit down to showcase their jokes, where Colin Quinn wouldn't make anybody perform. He made everybody just be funny. Byron Allen made people perform their fucking jokes, and not only that, fucking do it out of context and make them fucking sit down. So you don't even get to be the center of attention. You don't even get the at least the the decency to be in your natural element, which is standing up, you have everybody's attention on you, and you got a fucking microphone, all right? That's that's where comedy, stand-up comedy at least, that's how it's built. That's where you're most familiar. But if you're sitting down and there's, there's four other people, comics that you know are staring at you, and they probably know your fucking jokes too, and so you know, like, oh, God, they're judging me, but we're all in this together. Byron Allen's smiling at you with his fake fucking face. And then there's a whole audience just going like, yeah, what's going on? Because here's what was so contrived and transparent, okay? Byron Allen on this fucking show 
he would just sit there and talk with everybody and act like it's a normal goddamn conversation. But he'd be like, hey, Jim, what's, uh, I heard you got married today. Or I heard you got married this week. What, uh, tell us about that. You got, you got married? That seems kind of natural, right? And then Jim would go off on a fucking, you know, three-minute monologue doing his goddamn joke. Like, oh, yeah, we went to Hawaii, and my wife shit on a lava rock, and the lava rock exploded. And I was like, oh, Mount Vesuvius. Everybody gets a laugh. Byron Allen goes, ha-ha, that's real funny, Jim. So uh, that reminds me, Terry, you like unicorns, right? And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's not even natural as a conversation, let alone as a lead-in. Who the fuck just (laughs) goes... At that point, why bother having a fucking host? Why not just have the comics go, like, fucking almost pass-the-clap improv style of, like, hey, hey, I'm going to tell my joke and then pass it on over to Terry over here. Have fun, Terry. Like, that's the dumbest fucking thing in the world. Now, it's funny looking back on it, to be quite... I mean, if he was... If they were meant to do that, he's a fucking comedy genius, but I really doubt it because it's so... It's one of those movies that's just, like, so bad that you can find humor in it. Nah, no, nah, you know what? It's just bad. I can't even say that. Like, it's it's funny to laugh at. You're not laughing with it, so it's not even so bad. It's funny. It's just bad, and so you get to make fun of it. So that's what it is. Uh, but that and so my point of four, my my fourth point is kind of wrapping up that the fact that one, two, and three are basically just... I could have done this whole podcast in like two minutes now that I'm thinking about it, but I don't give a shit. But it it showcases every facet of comedy worth knowing, worth respecting, worth treating with some reverence that in, in, in at least some aspect, this is a fucking art form. And what the art form is is showcasing ideas, personality, and skill. And this was able to do that all while keeping and maintaining the artist's commodity, which is their act. And it not only did that, but it also did it for multiple people at multiple times. And it not only did that, but biggest point of all, I guess this is an extra point, this guaranteed was the first fucking podcast because a lot of podcasts, comedy podcasts, the community at least, uh, you wouldn't have... uh, I don't think, and I could be wrong, but you wouldn't have WTF with Mark Maron. You wouldn't have the Joe Rogan podcast. You wouldn't have uh, fucking Pete Holmes or Bill Burr or Burt Kreischer. I don't know why I'm going through all the names. You guys know who the big podcasts are. You wouldn't have all of these podcasts, I don't think, in the iteration that they are without this show. And I could be giving the, I, you know what, I'm just going to say outright, yes, I'm giving the show way too much credit. But I will say that this is the first instance, it was like a proto-podcast where you had comedians on talking about shit and you got to feel like you were one of them, right? And as a kid, that was fucking awesome. That was even before I even knew I wanted to do comedy. I was just like, this is cool, look at these cool guys, right? And that's what made it extra special is and I think why it holds up to this day is that this this crew became the Opie and Anthony crew Opie and Anthony satellite radio and I don't think that you get Opie and Anthony at least in that iteration without tough crowd and then spiraling off of that that, that's why I I try to give it more credit about like I don't think you would have a lot of these podcasts because spiraling off of that you know you have Joe Rogan Robert Kelly's Nick DiPaolo and Jim Norton's own show that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of branching trees or there's a lot of tree branches that branch off of this 
one stump that is, uh, you know, a, a short-lived, tiny talk show, panel show that came on in the early 2000s after The Daily Show, and that is Tough Crowd. And you don't get all, I don't think you get all of these masterful comedians, you don't get these hours of entertaining podcasts, and you don't get a sense of pure entertainment, but not just for the sake of entertainment, but also for the sense of having some social relevancy or having some cultural educational value to it. On top of that, uh, saying a bunch of curse words on Comedy Central late night. Uh, this show really is a, something special and wonderful. And my one of my secret life goals, it's not secret anymore, but one of my secret life goals is it would make me beyond ecstatic to have an iteration of this or an homage or some version that I can stand behind as my own show and be able to say I brought this aspect of entertainment back to the world. And if it lives on any platform, I don't care. That's why I do my charity show when I can. Uh, but I, I really I really am in love with the show, and I'm in love with every comic who graced it. They, they all did a wonderful job. Uh, and and I think that's a testament to the fact that uh, the other comics really took care and respect the craft too. It, it really comes through that the people hosting, producing, and participating in the show whenever they had guests on, they really uh, uh, they really chose wisely. They maybe not treated everybody very well because full disclosure they all are dicks <laughs> it's also part of the reason i liked them they were all fucking horrible to each other uh but they they all respected the craft above anything um and and i do too i i i may not be fucking god's sent angel uh for comedy uh i may not even be good in your estimation i may be boring as shit but one thing you cannot say about me is that uh i don't absolutely love this art form. I don't absolutely love this thing we call comedy that is just being able to play around and educate yourself in some some social way every time you listen to comedy or participate in it. Uh, it is it is truly a special thing, and so are you. Um, now we're done with that. Please go out and watch Tough Crowd. Uh, or please, uh, every December, especially this is coming out this December, uh, please go to my Twitter at IsamComedy, and for the whole month of December, I do 30 days of Tough Crowd, uh, where I just live tweet it. It's fun. I do it every morning or afternoon. You just check my Twitter, and you can see. Uh, also, uh, right now, if you're listening to this uh, in December of 2016, I have a petition uh, to get a digital release of this show up uh, through Comedy Central or Viacom. It takes literally fucking two seconds. I think you just click a button, or you type in your name and then click a button. Um, so if, uh, if you're interested with that, it's on change.org, and you can just type in Tough Crowd Digital Release, or I believe you can even type in Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn, and it'll come up, and you can sign it. And uh, I'm just trying to get a digital release, so that way we can all buy it off of fucking iTunes and watch it together. Uh, they've never released any of it, not even a fucking best of thing. you got to watch it on YouTube. That's where I'm pulling all these fucking clips off, and some of them are goddamn, <laughs> they look like something pulled off the Tim and Eric show. It's all video tape, like VHS shit, and it's all magnetic size, so there's like scrolling, the 
There's like weird like ee, cracks and bullshit. I, I I feel like I'm watching it back in the 1980s. Like it's a weird porno that I got and somehow shoved it in my iPad. Uh, so you can also go to sign that. Uh, if not, if you just are listening to this whenever, then uh, just keep uh, keep coming back and listen. I, I very much appreciate it, guys. Uh, please share this too. The more you guys share, the more. Uh, the more people enjoy this. I do this for free, and I do this for you. So uh, if anybody else is a comedy nerd, just send it out, on, out to them. I, I, I do it as long as you guys want it, and you guys are supporting it, and I thank you. Uh, so thank you very much. I love you all. Uh, and uh, shout-out to my friend Ryan Walker. He's, uh, he's still producing the uh, this show, and he's, uh, he's in China doing, uh, doing some pretty good work, not only here but abroad. So uh, hopefully he's fucking abroad. Pound it, Ryan. Asian pussy, not my fist. Or both. That'd be cool. I'm going to smell my fist afterwards. Come on, gross. All right. See you guys later. Bye. Not a lot of like, haha, I'm laughing.